Uh, I um, uh, developed at some point a love for historic buildings. Some people are tree huggers. I'm a building hugger. I love <laughs> Welcome to Building Birmingham Together, a show about Birmingham's business leaders, successes, failures, and lessons learned to encourage you to remember that dreaming is free, but the hustle is sold separately. I'm your host, Kim Lee, founder and CEO of Forge. Today, I'm joined by David Fleming. David is the president and CEO of Rev Birmingham. Rev Birmingham is a place-based revitalization agency and economic development nonprofit with a mission to create vibrant commercial districts in the city of Birmingham. Building Birmingham Together is brought to you today by Forge. Forge is Birmingham's first professional co-working space located in the heart of downtown Birmingham at the Pazitz Building. With private offices, open workspaces, as well as meeting and event space, Forge is the place where small business owners and entrepreneurs come together, meet new people, and get work done. If you would like to find out more about Forge, you can visit workatforge.com. Now to the interview. David, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I am excited about being here. This is going to be fun. Oh, great. I think so, too. Well, okay. I first want to jump into, I gave a brief intro of the mission of Rev Birmingham, but there is a lot packed in there. Um, So I would love if you could take a little time and break down what Rev Birmingham does. I um, take for granted just that I'm familiar with your organization, but I know that a lot of people have heard the name, but maybe not are aware of all, all that you do and why you do what you do. Right. And, um, and I do think that a lot of people maybe touch Rev in a particular way and see us from that angle, but don't know all the other stuff. And so I appreciate the opportunity to give it comprehensively, but as an organization is focused on place revitalization, you know, we're an economic development agency, but very, very place specific. And so um, focusing on you know, downtown Birmingham and then neighborhood commercial districts. Um, so the places we serve tend to be more uh, main street, historic main street or downtown kinds of places. Like we're not the industrial park people. We're not, you know, doing malls or something like that. Um, and uh, our mission in revitalizing um, urban commercial districts um, is about bringing vibrancy to those places. And we define vibrant as, uh, a, you know, where diverse people and authentic places meet. Um, and a lot of economic development is sort of separated in, you know, you're, you're focusing on job creation or you're just focusing on urban planning or something like that. But this is really the intersection of the two because you can have a wonderful place but if there are no people there and there's no vibrancy. But you know, the people want to be in a place that is clean and safe. It's, um, uh, you know, maintained well. It's, it's, it's an interesting place to be. And so that's where you get, I think, the best vibrancy. But, but Rev's work is multifaceted, but we tend to boil it all down to uh, three main areas. Uh, one of those is supporting business owners. Um, and so we do a lot of work um, around entrepreneurship and trying to help people realize their dreams. Um, uh, and our, we tend to focus on a lot of those types that are lifestyle businesses or retail types of businesses. 
uh, those that you might see spill, uh, uh, filling up a storefront um, and, and really growing those kinds of small businesses are a really important part of, of uh, we always say that those are the businesses that make the city cool. You know, uh, those are the businesses that you need to have uh, in order to attract the workforce and retain the workforce and the talent and the businesses you want. But the other kind of business that we work with are people doing real estate development because that's really placemaking. If you're a real estate developer, you're really a placemaker because you're developing place. And so we do a lot of work uh, around um, uh, placemaking. So the second thing would be what we call creating experiences. Um creating great experiences. And, and that might be an event or a, a, a street market or uh, something like uh, the bike share program, which we ran for five years. Um, and the purpose of that is not just to create a cool event and have fun. Uh, our purposes in doing them, if we're going to do them, are to hopefully reveal market potential or be a catalyst to create that market potential. Uh, bike share is a great example of that. Before bike share, nobody thought it made any sense to have bikes running around. Birmingham's not going to work. Uh, well, it did reveal that there's a desire for that. There's a, a great opportunity for multimodalism and all that. So, uh, and then the third piece is just um, uh, about uh, focusing on authentic place. Uh, that's is the public realm in good shape uh, is the private realm, private buildings uh, occupied in good shape and working on that real physical piece. So really all of our initiatives that we do, uh, and we are working under a kind of a, we have a kind of a three-year plan, strategic plan we're working under now, they all fall in you know one or more of those buckets. So I, I'm guessing that it took a lot of thought and trial, maybe errors to really hone in on that mission and really what keeps y'all focused on the decisions that you make and the projects that you take on. Um, can you share a little bit about that journey and what it was like to really dial it in? Well, yeah, and that involves uh, maybe a mix of um, the historical journey of the organization and but also sort of my personal historical journey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, our organization's roots really go back to 1957 um, when the Birmingham Downtown Improvement Association was created. Uh, you think about it, after World War II, there was a lot of suburban growth starting. Automobile orientation was fueling that. Um, uh, I believe that at that point, it had been announced that the first mall would be built, uh, Eastwood Mall. And all the downtown merchants, because there were a lot of downtown merchants and commerce folks at the time, like we really got to focus on making downtown uh, competitive and, and or we're going to you know lose out on all this suburban growth. So they created this organization that was trying to foster those visions. And, um, uh, and it evolved a lot over the years. It, 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 after the 1960s, when there was this feeling that we really needed to transform Birmingham because of the civil uh, rights movement and um, you know, there was a task force called Operation New Birmingham that was created. That task force, actually, they renamed the whole organization around that. And that was for up until um, about 2012, there was Operation New Birmingham. And it was focused on downtown development. Um, in the meantime, I worked, uh, I'm a Birmingham native. I grew up actually in Bessemer on the west side. I was a kid there, but I went to Vesavia High School because my dad was a teacher. Um, and... Uh, I um, 
uh, developed at some point a love for historic buildings. Some people are tree huggers. I'm a building hugger. <laughs> you know, historic buildings. Um, so that kind of got me into this whole, whole, why are the vacant buildings that I love? Why are the buildings I love vacant? Why, you know, how do we get this economic vibrancy going, adaptive reuse? And so, um, uh, that led me into this work. I worked for Operation New Birmingham for a while, uh, after I graduated from Sanford. And then when I was doing my master's at Birmingham Southern, I sort of wrote up an idea of how to do this in neighborhoods as well. I'll make this a very short story. Ultimately, the city decided we should do that. And so we created a Main Street Birmingham, which was focused on neighborhood commercial districts. After, And I was the first employee, started leading that, building that. Uh, at the retirement of my predecessor, it was a question, you know, what should we do? And I, I thought we should try to merge the organizations uh, so that we had one organization with the skill sets of place-based revitalization, but did not have just neighborhoods or downtown in mind. We kind of had the whole city, you know, in view. And so the interests of downtown and the interests of neighborhoods were sort of, you know, connected a little bit more. Uh, plus, if you know Birmingham, you know, history, I mean, we were a very fractured metropolis. We've got a lot of fractured, uh, interests and, and even sort of feeling of us versus them in a lot of senses. And so I thought it made, make sense to bring that under one umbrella. And, uh, the, the, the two boards agreed, the, um, city kind of agreed at the time, thought it'd be a good idea. So we merged and became Rev Birmingham. And, um, that led us to um, then trying to work on the vibrancy in multiple places downtown and as well as various neighborhoods. Over time, we've worked in several neighborhoods. Right now, we tend to focus on downtown and then the Woodlawn Commercial District because those are the places where we know we've got the quality of place that works for what we do. We have people in those places that are good partners that like to work with us uh, and we can work with them. And then um, uh, we also have payers, and that's a very practical part. We're a nonprofit, but you got to have money. Uh, you know, if you're going to have mission, you got to have money. And so we've got resources to do those things. So that's where we focus on those two places right now. So have you all, did, when Rev started, did y'all start with those two visions, Birmingham and Woodlawn? Or what was, how did well, those two focuses time, come? Main Street Birmingham was focused in nine different commercial districts, and it's hard to call that focus. You know, we, yeah. <laughs> but we we had a contract with the city, and you know there was um, the sense that we should, you know, um, you know, focus on, you know, I, and you hear Mayor Woodfin saying this, and um, you know, there are officially like twenty six different commercial districts around the city of Birmingham, um, and we. Uh, focused on or had some interest in developing in, in nine of those. And then we merged with downtown and it kind of became 10. Uh, and, you know, that's a lot. That's, it's, you know, ultimately it's too many, especially if you're not going to have uh, millions of dollars to support your organization with, because um, uh, you really need to, and this is one of those lessons learned, um, you know, if you're focused in a place, you've got to really be embedded there. I mean, you can't kind of, swoop in and swoop out. I mean, it doesn't work that way. So um, if you can't, from a resource perspective, really be embedded in that mm-hmm. place, I don't think you're going to be successful in this kind of work. So um, anyway, that um, that led us ultimately to 
you know, and, and as, as the city's priorities changed and all that, you know, we um, you know, kind of just focused in a little bit more and used those three P's that I talked about to sort of define, you know, where do we work? Well, the good thing about the, that matrix, though, is that it's expandable. I mean, if the three P's emerge somewhere else, we can work there. You know, right. OK, can you those three P's? I love those. Can you say those again? Like this is what guides y'all in the areas where you choose to focus and just just touch on those again. Like why each one is so important. Yeah, the first P is place. It's mm-hmm. like what I said earlier, you know, we are more of the historic Main Street district kinds of place people. You know, we're, um, you know, we're not going to do the industrial park place or something else. So we like those historic cores. And uh, so that's a, a way of de- helping to define place that our strategies for work are tailored for that. Um, the second P is people. Uh, are the people in that place, people that can work with us, want to work with us. Um, we can really define who that is that is, you know, are the key people and the key players in that place. Um, can we work with them? And because it's important to be able to have a sort of community-led or agreed-upon vision for place, uh, and then you build the tactics around trying to achieve that vision. So. Um, we know we've got to have that, that people element. If we, if we aren't, you know, together with some defined, you know, key stakeholder element, then, you know, that's not going to work. And then the final P is payer. You know, somebody's got to be paying right. or, or the resources that got to be there to support the work. And we have learned perhaps the hard way that if you don't have all three, right. it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah, I do love what you said that um, that you can't just swoop in to it's easy to drive through an area and feel like, oh, there's so much that could happen here. But when you just swoop in, that's not how the change happens. And I love the focus that Rev has on really um, empowering the people and providing the resources for the people who are invested and embedded to really make a change in their city that they love. Um, So I think that's. And a lot of these places where there's been historic disinvestment, obviously there's concerns um, mm-hmm. that the people that have stayed around have. Um, but the reality is the market has moved out of those places in ways that you end up with a lot of vacancy. And um, and it will not, while, while we work very hard to make sure there are opportunities for people from within the community uh, to be a part of the revitalization of that, um, maybe from a starting a business standpoint or whatever, um, you know, it's also going to require that, you know, probably investors or people come in from the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we uh, know full well that, um, you know, if, if people are coming into the community from outside, it, we've got to vet them and make sure they are engaged with key community partners and people, um, you know, from the beginning so that they, um, you know, they aren't just coming in to do their thing, but they're coming to do a thing that really enhances the community quality of life. So So I have a question about something that you've touched on several times um, and is 
the driving force of Rev, this idea of the city, having a vibrant city center. Mm-hmm. So why is it so important for a metropolis such as Birmingham um, to have a vibrant city center? Like why, why is that so important rather than just letting the suburbs go and go? Right, right. Well, I'll um, start by saying from just a city perspective, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about the city of Birmingham and its neighborhoods. We operate from the belief that uh, a, a strong, growing, vibrant downtown is essential for the neighborhoods to be healthy. Um, at the same time, we believe that healthy neighborhoods help make downtown even more of what it could be or even stronger. So I, we feel like there is a symbiotic relationship uh, between the two. And so that's actually one reason why vibrant downtown is, is strong or, or is important because um, the neighborhoods need that. I mean, it's the closest opportunity for jobs and job creation um, it's, um, uh, really, uh, important, but, um, you know, in a more macro sense, as far as the Metro goes, really the downtown is, and should be the heart and soul of the region. It's the historic birthplace of the city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cultural, um, um, you know, um, history there, uh, and, and a lot of what, you know, the city has, has become, started there a lot of the major institutions of the city you know if you concentrate them in the downtown area uh it's important and frankly the whole region gets a greater bang for the buck if downtown is vibrant and now for many years we would people like me would make those arguments and say um downtown is needed uh, uh for the health of the whole uh of the whole city the whole region um but you know, thankfully, as a generally the culture and the economic development community sort of caught up with us as real downtown geeks because <laughs> everybody's now understands how more important things like quality of life are to economic development. And downtown as a vibrant place is critical to the quality of life of, of a community and being in the city. Um, and uh, we are competing as a region against many other regions, not just in the Southeast, but around the country. And the quality and the health and vibrancy of your downtown is either a competitive advantage or a competitive disadvantage. And it just is. And thankfully, a lot more people recognize that now. But um, it's going to help you succeed or fail in just economic development generally, because it's about uh, a vibrant downtown helps you attract workforce and retain workforce. It helps you attract um, companies and retain companies uh, in the city. Uh, and even if you're not um, located in downtown, you have an interest in downtown being vibrant because of all of those other reasons. And just look at what's happened um, in our downtown over the last decade. Um, we have a downtown of roughly 80,000 employees. It's the largest single concentration of employment in the state of Alabama. You know, oh, in that, wow. In that four square mile area. Um, we uh, have uh, a lot of sort of visible companies and brands that are important to the um, storytelling of Birmingham. We've had $2.5 billion of investment in the last decade, basically ever since Railroad Park opened uh, in yeah. 2010. You know, uh-huh. you make that a marker in time, you know, $2.5 billion in investment, either public and private. 
which is a, I'm, I'm quite sure unprecedented. Um, over, um, uh, we now have uh, 13,000 people living in downtown, whereas 10 years ago it was about five or six. Wow. Um, you know, so we've doubled a residential population in downtown, and there's still a lot more interest in that growing. Um, so uh, it is a really, you know, growing neighborhood and, and important as a real mixed-use place. It's, it's mm-hmm. the true mixed-use district. And, you know, it is the one place in the entire region that really can make a case for it really belongs to everybody. Right. You know, almost every other municipality you're in, neighborhood, whatever, you know, that it really kind of belongs to whoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But downtown is for everybody. And um, that is uh, another reason why it's important because you don't get those opportunities in our world um, to really say that about too many places. Right. Well, so I know with the work that you're doing, we um, are – recording this podcast still in the time of COVID. So I know that working with small business owners and um, having events, trying to make spaces vibrant, you have been affected. But I would love to know one, um, you know, maybe one or two big initiatives that you were focused on before COVID. And then now, not that those have dropped, but maybe the way that you how you've shifted your approach to those initiatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we started um, 2020 having adopted a three year strategic plan. Uh, and then about two everybody later, had great vision. The world changed. Um, and, oh. uh, but the good news is we really evaluated the things that we felt like we needed to be doing for, for our city over the next three years. And, and many of those things were still valid or maybe even more important. It may have reordered how you and where you get there. But um, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of things that we're still working on. Um, heavily on. And one is uh, 20th Street. You know, 20th Street is the main street. It's the spine of downtown. Uh, it uh, it needs to be strong in order for uh, the whole of downtown to be strong. And um, it's seen better days. It's got, you know, it, it needs a refresh. And so we've been focused on trying to refresh 20th Street and uh, been developed a lot of partners with uh, the Alabama Society of Landscape Architects and some other landscape architects that have helped us sort of think through what could be some ways to transform 20th Street's um, landscaping with a better landscaping plan, maybe a more manageable, more maintenance-friendly landscaping plan, allow us to do a few physical changes up and down the street so that it becomes a uh, strong attractor for business and residents and and uh, it really should be one of those great urban streets of cities anywhere in the country because it's got everything possible. It's got a great building stock going up and down it. It's got that great investment that was made in the 1970s to green it up the first time. Um, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I will put it the way that, you know, the one of the folks that was working on the city center master plan last year, Put it, you know, if you were, if you owned, if you built and you owned a, an office park somewhere and you had your main street running through that office park and you basically didn't maintain it for about 20 years, um, the entire office park value would be gone. That wouldn't help you sell it, right? So this is very important that 20th Street 
Um, it's old, and even now in COVID, it has made it even more obvious how important the public realm is because we need to be outside more. Uh, right. COVID, COVID has forced us outside <laughs> more. And um, you got to have a public realm that can accommodate that. So um, that's a, a real strong initiative. And we're looking for, we're, we're kind of trying to move that towards how that can evolve into a stronger public private partnership between the city. And, you know, maybe the property owners downtown to not just refresh it, but have a good sustainability plan because it's about sustainability. Of it too. Mm-hmm. But another really important thing in downtown is um, uh, the growth of the innovation district, which we now call the switch. That was rebranded earlier this year based on that area's history as a place where you had a lot of railroad switching uh, going on to serve the industrial areas there. But also, you know, with technology and innovation going forward, there's a, uh, you know, switching uh, evokes technology and it evokes, you know, brain synapses and all that sort of stuff. So it's, that's the rebrand, uh, but it's also the very close neighbor to the civil rights district. So that whole Northwest quadrant of downtown, uh, we're partnering with uh, Urban Impact and um, mm. we are, um, you know, co-leading a, a, uh, visioning and planning process, which is not about just doing a plan. There've been lots of plans done, but really taking the market opportunities, understanding the catalytic things that can be done to really drive those, that market potential and have a, a, a key consensus and strategy on how to get those things done. So we really can grow the civil rights district and the innovation district, the switch, um, you know, together uh, and if you think about it, all of the major um, sort of economic development goals and economic development conversations going on nationally, but have been going on locally, is around equitable economic development and opportunities for everyone. Uh, and uh, what physical place embodies that more than that Northwest Quadrant downtown between the Switch Innovation District and the Civil Rights District and the historic African American Business District? All of that. Right. Uh, if we really maximize that and make those areas what they can and should be, that becomes a physical like marker for us. You know, it says, look at what kind of city we are. You can walk right. down the streets here and you can see it and feel it. You can see this, that um, Birmingham is a place where everyone can realize their dreams. So what challenges have y'all faced because of COVID? I know. Yeah. I, you know, the, Challenges, you know, organizationally, of course, um, every organization is wondering about, you know, resources and and how to move forward. We've weathered a lot of that, you know, fairly well so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the challenge missionally has been I've really refocused our support for business owners. Um, right. Uh, the business owners have received the greatest challenge. Um, obviously, if you're a large employer, like some of the large employers downtown. You did have to change uh, and send people home and learn how to work remotely. And a lot of people have, have figured that out and been able to kind of keep keep going. Certainly company culture has suffered. Um, mentorships, internal mentorships, all that stuff is suffering. And I know that people want to uh, get back to normal. But obviously the kinds of businesses that took it on the chin immediately and deeply and painfully were uh, retail, restaurant, um, businesses that you need to walk into and have a transaction, you know, and right. um, we were beginning to really see the growth of that in downtown in ways that we hadn't for a long time since the major retailers left in the 60s and 70s, you know. Right. Um, 
And so those poor folks have really uh, taken it hard. Um, and, you know, we've uh, done a lot of work with that community and, and you know, tried to, uh, uh, in summer, we did a white paper. We kind of uh, took um, a lot of folks. Uh, we listened to a lot of those folks. We have a, um, um, uh, you know, we studied what was going on in trends uh, and developed what we thought what we might see in terms of impact and uh, what may be some things we need to do. We, as everybody needs to do to really support them. Right. So um, anyway, uh, that, that has really, that became a front line effort, you know, right. for all of us is just how are we going to make sure we can help those who can survive, survive. Yeah. And um, then, you know, position for, you know, new folks to come in behind them and not lose the momentum around retail and storefront. And again, that authentic business, you know, uh, those, those local authentic businesses. So we came up with ideas like the great receipt race. We did. Yep, That was great. um, In August. And, um, you know, we provided some prizes for people who spent the most money in any given week (laughs) with local businesses and registered that with us, you know, so trying to drive people into local businesses to help them, survive and you know it's a drop in the bucket given the whole pandemic but uh those i do think those things help uh a little bit in the cash register but probably help a lot for businesses knowing they're just they're not suffering in silence this they're not alone they they right. know people are you know trying to help yeah you y'all y'all do a great job of um supporting small business owners so thank you for that So I wanted to ask, I think you've touched on some of the lessons that you've learned, but just share, um, you know, just a few things that you've learned over your career, not just necessarily through at Birmingham, but for people listening, some of the most impactful lessons that you've learned, um, leading organizations, growing, starting new organizations that really have molded you into the leader that you are today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Light question. <laughs> leader with more gray hair than I used to have. That's right. Uh, oh. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're constantly learning. I've still got a lot to learn, but, um, you know, I think, you know, several things, um, especially as it relates to mission driven work and nonprofit yeah. work. Um, you know, even if you have a fairly specific mission, like we do, there's always so many potentially good things you could be doing and you've got to really have a way to determine what are the most impactful of those things. Cause you can, you can create a lot of busyness for you, but are you really getting impact? And, um, uh, you know, I've, I've learned and sometimes I have a hard time saying no, I admit it. You know, I, it, you know when some good idea or, or something comes along and, and uh, so I've, we, you really, as a leader, have to have a pretty good mechanism for making decisions about what you're going to spend your organizational time and resources on to get the greatest impact towards your mission. Uh, and, and that's not that there aren't other good ideas that are good. It's just they may not be the ones that you need to be focused on right now. And so I think that's, that's uh, you know, hard um, sometimes uh, to make those decisions. And um, to also know when you've um, when you've done what you need to do, and it's time for a program to end. You know, I mm. mean, you, you you start things, 
that maybe are important and meaningful at the time. Um, and, you know, you get this, then this, you know, maybe in this trap that, well, maybe that needs to keep going, but maybe sometimes, you know, and we've actually, in the time that we've been Rev, I would say really in the last couple of years, we've probably um, gone through some significant changes because we've ended up um, really shedding uh, some significant programs that we no longer do. And it was, I think, part of this sort of refocusing process that we got on. I mean, if you think about Rev as a startup business, when we merged, you know, the organization together and you think of it as a, it was a startup business and we went through the first five years or so. And, you know, at, at, at year five in a small business, that's like if you've made it to year five, you're probably <laughs> needing to really, you know, trim some limbs and, do, you know, do, you right. know, do some pruning and, and, you know, figure out where you're going. That's kind of what happened to us too. And um, uh, so I mentioned bike share already, you know, we did that mm-hmm. five-year program did not see that we needed to keep doing it. I think you know, we kind of established what it needed to do. And so the private market could come in and take over uh, doing that multimodal stuff. Um, we used to be really involved in uh, food distribution uh, with our urban food project um, uh-huh. to sort of help you know, get uh, food into communities where there, there were food deserts. And um, what we were trying to do it is more of a business growth perspective as opposed to just pure food security thing. But, you know, that, that program was great. It ran its course. I'll tell you, we, you know, as an organization grew, uh, when we merged, we had about 13 or so people on the staff. At some point we reached 30 employees. Wow. And, um, and it happened quickly. And, and that was where, and this is the other lesson learned when you, when you see that kind of growth, you really do have to build the structure for your organization that allows for, growth to happen and and um, you can continue to function because no longer as the leader are you able at any point to really know what everybody's doing every day you know right. I had those small organizations at one point like yeah I kind of know what everybody's up to right now but you lose that you know and you have to have um, uh, have built a structure where your mission is still everybody's driving toward it Um and, uh, but now we're back down to around 13 or so people. And we, when we started setting some programs, we, we got more lean and mean. Um, so I, I'll tell you a book that helped us, helped me a lot. Uh, some people have heard of uh, maybe the book Traction by Gino. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you yeah, know, I feel like Gino takes a lot of uh, great advice that a lot of other Collins and other uh-huh. people have, and then just puts it into a practical, here's how you do all that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, so we, we tended to adopt that entrepreneurial operating system model and still use it um, uh-huh. as, as a way to help us know that we're getting again traction. We might say impact and really moving right. towards that. So I guess that's kind of a lesson learned. And then the well, hard, hard one I will say, you know, uh, for me personally is, um, you know, it, don't beat yourself up too much. I mean, I, <laughs> I do that a lot. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's easy as a leader um, to, you know, feel the burden and then, you know, lay awake at night, you know, thinking about all the things you're not doing right. And um, uh, I think you got to be able to not beat yourself up too much. Um uh, having the right people on the bus is critical. I mean, right. the wrong people 
um, in places. It's ultimately it's not good for them and it's not good for you. Um, so uh, don't make those mistakes and, and don't live with them for a long time. Right. So before we end, I do want to ask you um, about Rev. So I, th- um, you know, you've mentioned it that Rev is a nonprofit organization, and that you need, you know, you have to have payers in order for Rev to implement your programs and be successful. So as people in Birmingham, people of the city who love what you're doing. And sometimes may not realize that, you know, you can't do it all on your own. How can the city of, how can, how can we, how can people of Birmingham help support the work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, certainly there, you know, I mean, the obvious way is, you know, we do need financial support. Money. We, uh, <laughs> That's right. We, we try to support the organization by a couple of ways. One, we do raise money from uh, businesses and individuals. Uh, but we also try to have what we call our contracts, which is, you know, like we manage certain projects or things for other people that are related to our mission. You know, like we manage the business improvement district downtown, which if you're downtown, the people in the blue shirts, the cap program, that's the right. cap program. Um, and that is a, a property owners pay into that, like a homeowners association mm-hmm. where we have a contract to run that program. And, you know, that's um, those kinds of things we do pay for this. So, that's good. But other than that, I would say um, um, uh, what, what can can help us, I, I would say a couple of things. One, um, when you do have some great idea, we're there. We want to help. You know, and we may not be able to do everything for you, but we do want to engage with people. If you have some great business idea or even a great civic idea that would um, be a part of uh, you know, downtown's potential and growth, um, uh, you know, talk to us, call us. We want to help, you know, steer you in the right direction. Cause, um, we love to say, um, we love to find passionate people with passionate, uh, with, with, uh, great projects and feed them. You know, that's kind of why we exist. So, um, don't leave us out of that mix, you know, yeah. um, come see us again. I can't overpromise that we can do everything, but we certainly, uh, want to help, um, drive those things. And, you know, I would say just generally, this is not specific to Rev, but, you know, generally to the city as a whole, uh, we, our city very easily resorts to a uh, kind of a negative sense of itself. Um, mm. And um, we, you know, other cities, you know, they have that possibility drive, you know, and Birmingham, we kind of lost that over a hundred years ago when our, um, when we, started having outside interest buy up all the industries and we were no longer that startup, you know, city. Mm-hmm. We were really kind of owned by all these outside interests. And so we still have this. And then we went through the civil rights movement and, you know, we had this sort of um, um, feeling that we maybe can't do, do things. So one of the coolest things about the last decade, you know, prior to this year and COVID was, <laughs> just seeing people start to believe again about Birmingham and its potential and, and its cool factor and all that. I mean, uh, that, as somebody who's now been in this work about 25 years to, to go to the first 15 where you just couldn't get anybody to believe in anything. Right. You know, it was such a positive thing to see, Oh my gosh, now it's not so hard to just get people to see the possibilities. It's, you know, you know, if people already believe in the possibilities, then you can really get some stuff. And so right. I think, um, 
uh, even though that's not you know technically directly specific to rabbit really i can tell you it really helps a lot when you've got uh, people in a city just a general attitude that hey um yeah we we can go somewhere right um, that, that's important okay a couple rapid fire questions that i didn't warn oh, you okay. about <laughs> no just two actually so one is what are your top or top two you've already mentioned one um books that you you know if people ask you about leadership or organization you love those have been instrumental mm-hmm. yeah um traction i got traction. one for you <laughs> yeah you've already uh, answered that one i'm i'm glad than that so um uh, as far as the second, um, um, the second, second book, um, you know, I, this is going to be out of left field maybe, but I love it. This is not on the list of, of, of business books uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, but it's a book Tim Keller wrote about okay. Jonah. Okay. He wrote a book about Jonah called The Prodigal Prophet. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, if you've ever really studied, you know, Jonah, you know, it's not just about a whale, you know, and um, uh, there's um, a lot about, um, I think of this as a mission driven work person. Mm-hmm. You, know, you had Jonah with a calling that at some point, very well, from the very beginning, he kind of didn't want to do it. You know, I, right. I feel like that a lot sometimes in my calling, like, why do I feel like I've got to be doing this work? This is hard. It is hard. And I, yeah. And, and, you know, um, but you know, this sense of, of calling and, and there's a lot of cultural, you know, stuff that we still deal with. And I, so I, I even though it's not technically a leadership book, you know, I, yeah. I think there's a lot about, personal development and leadership and thinking about sense of mission and calling. And of course, um, um, you know, who's calling you to do something. Um, uh, so I, I would put that the prodigal prophet. As a, okay. I haven't read that one. So, mm-hmm. all right. And top, top one or two podcasts that you like to listen to. Mm. Well, I like the leadership podcast from Andy Stanley. I think okay. he's got some great, um, uh, things. Uh, he's of course a Christian minister, but, um, I think he has leadership perspective um, things that you know, are applied to any organization. So um, I certainly recommend uh, uh, that. And, and I like the ones that Michael Hyatt does. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Hyatt is the Nashville-based um, uh, you know, guru, created the full focus planner, and is right. all about you know trying to help get you focused on things. He and his daughter do you know some podcasts together and usually really good. Um, so I, I recommend those too. Okay. Well, great. Well, um, you didn't warn me about those. I know, I know. I just wanted to be spur of the moment, truly authentic. (laughs) And you are, I love it. Well, thank you for joining me today. Um, if you would like to learn more about Rev Birmingham and ways that you can be involved, please check our show notes for contact information and also be sure to follow Rev Birmingham on Instagram and sign up for their newsletter, which is really great at revbirmingham.com. And these are ways that you can keep up um, with all of the projects that Rev is working on and how you can get involved. So we learned from Dave today.
today that the work that Rev is doing cannot be accomplished by just the Rev team. They need vibrant people of Birmingham to make vibrant places in Birmingham. And thank you to Forge for bringing us this podcast today. If you are tired of working from home and looking for a professional place to work to get work done, Forge is your solution. You can visit workatforge.com to schedule your tour today.